Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novels review editor of Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief at the Comics Beat at comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes, and we're on social media at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And on Twitter, we're at pwcomicsworld. And this now week, on Tumblr, oh, PW I keep Comics forgetting World. Tumblr also. What's the Tumblr address? It's pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. Okay, I better write it down. Yeah. Okay, this week on More to Come, comics at BEA and BookCon, uh, San Diego Comic Con, and its harassment policy, She Hulk, and its discontents, and the briefs. Of course, the briefs each week. Uh, so let's get right to it. Yes. Um, uh, BEA, Book Expo America, uh, the gigantic gathering of uh, book trade professionals every year. I wouldn't say gigantic, year. but uh, a <laughs> gathering, well, yes. I've been working for yes. PW too long. Yes, At yes. one time, it, it was, was gigantic. It was once, but it's, once uh, it filled the entire Las Vegas Convention Center I know, back I in the day. It used to average about 30,000, 35, but I think it's like about 20 or so now. Yeah, I think um, it might be less than that. It actually, might be. So. I, I think it's like 19 and yeah, we round it up. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Which tells you something about how we're used to really huge comic cons because we're like, oh, God, <laughs> it only has 19,000 people. Know, yes. I know, I know. Small. So uh, yeah, so I, I stand corrected. <laughs> I've, I've been doing well. This I mean, thing that's part of the story that uh, that's been going on with BEA for quite a while, yeah, and it, uh, is true. you know what is the place of the B two B meeting in these this world and of increasingly fan oriented events? It, you know? it, it certainly still has a role, but uh, at a time when uh, book pu- book publishers are being exhorted to connect with readers, um, you know they're they're uh, being extorted at, to buy expensive trade at, shows, and, and, and as Amazon and uh, Hachette go at it in public. Um, BEA is trying to get with the program. Uh, BookCon was also an important part of this this year's show. Well, Calvin, we've been talking for years about how uh, publishers are, you know, like trying to put a cat into a bucket of water. Uh, <laughs> publishers are trying to be dragged into the world of actually dealing with the public. And uh, you know, BookCon was Read Pop. They they gave yeah. they gave a what used to be Power Reader Day over yeah. to Read Pop, which does the consumer shows for one day, which um, kind of crossed San Diego Comic Con Hall H type blockbuster movie panels with authors and stars, mm-hmm. uh, with author signings, booths, kind of this typical setup at BEA, um, with mixed results, I think. Yeah. Um, Though certainly not pains. mixed in terms of yes. certainly not mixed in terms of enthusiasm and tur- and turnout. No, it yeah. was it was they kept tickets at. 10,000, which I think they actually should have probably capped it at 8,000 because, like, basically, uh, 10,000, I would say 9,000 women, young women, (laughs) between the ages of like 8 and, uh, you know, 30, showed up at. With a huge component of teenage girls. (laughs) Yeah, right. Showed up at 9 in the morning, perhaps 1,000 men, if that, really. And uh, just flooded in, lined up for everything. You couldn't get in. There was a huge line uh, to get in. I mean, is it. Isn't that what you want to have a lot of people who want it to go? It is. It is. But, you know, New York Comic Con, we've talked about that many times, about the problems with the Javits Center not being made for consumer shows with tens of thousands of people. That's just the way it is. Well, um, yeah, but you'd think they could handle 10,000. Well, you'd think, except what Con was constricted to one hall, Hall and E. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah okay, if you have one third. hall, you <laughs> can't have that many yeah. people. Yeah. That's so crazy. it was in some ways it wasn't quite as bad as the uh, in- inaugural New York Comic Con. No, 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 uh, not a, no, where, no one starved to death. Where they, they had to, they did where they they had to shut the floor down and keep you out, but they the, they were literally swarming um, through the hall. And the, while the rest of the show was called of roped, <laughs> roped so basically off from them. the entire show <laughs> took up about as much space as the line for Stan Lee takes at New York Comic Con. Pretty much, <laughs> and there was a line, and there was Stan Lee, and yeah. um, well, that would explain a lot. You know, there were two um, two reactions to it. I think those of us in the book industry. I mean, initially, I was very excited by it. I, mm-hmm. I was very heartened. Sure. I was really thrilled to see book readers being this engaged and this excited for their you know yeah. it was the yeah, same people it, say book con- book fans don't exist but it's not true well so not true but uh, uh, you know to to a, a readers john green is a superstar yeah, he's like a movie star so it's great to yeah. see this kind of enthusiasm yeah um but there were a lot of people on social media who were complaining saying they mm. would never go back it was too crowded i mean you know i i i yeah, yeah if you're, if right. you're gonna okay, do a consumer buddy. show sure. yeah you need more enough room for consumers. Right. Well, that's well, yeah, there you, you go. Know, I think you, you have you, to also. You got to pick. Now you have to remember, the big publishers of New York City uh, and their marketing people, and I've talked with some of them too. They really don't want a consumer show. Uh, right. This is basically this BookCon, in my view, basically was a proof of concept. Yes, in some ways, the absolutely. way the, the inaugural New York Comic Con. Yep. Was. Exactly. So basically, to show uh, the reluctant people that this is the future and believe you me there's like a wave of people no, that no, are willing to no, get well, in. I don't understand why they don't want a show like this. Well I, I can tell you and I'll tell you. First of all they're very worried that their professional show uh, will be they don't want a Comic Con because they're very afraid that they will not have the time to do face to face with their profession on the professional side. Well, then they, have two cons. Well, it, I don't think it's going to affect New York Comic Con so much ultimately because it's a very sharp demarcation. The first two or whatever days they may extend further up in the week. You never know. Oh, we're uh, not talking forward. about New York Comic Con calendar. Excuse me, um, uh, uh, Book Expo America. So the, you've got two days that are strictly trade. And next year, two days that will be consumer, uh, the book, yeah. book con. Well, that seems reasonable. Calvin, and then you can does. actually sell stuff. Calvin, let me ask you yes. something. How do they do it at Frankfurt? Uh, and uh, the London book, does the London book fair also allow consumers? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know because I've actually never okay. been to the but London book fair. Tell us about Frankfurt because this Frankfurt, is really what people are talking Frankfurt, about. Frankfurt to me seems a wonderful situation. I mean, it's all trade for the entire show except for the last day. Whereupon. You can pay uh, pay a fee, and tens. What seemed I won't say tens of thousands, thousands of fans, uh, teenage girls, and once again, many of them uh, dress as if they were cosplaying for Comic Con. Because why not? Stream into the place. Um, now, I did some publishers. Uh, the, they were particularly mostly American. Did complain a bit about it because. There are there there has been rumors where people come in and basically sort of strip the you know they go for books. Some publishers make sure that there's someone left in their booth, but overall, you I need had to a, have somebody there. You right. can't just have. A, uh, well, some people actually do sort of shut down and get out. You know, they they don't at Frankfurt. Are, at Frankfurt, it, I, it was very. But few. then they get their stuff out. You I don't found, leave your stuff. Yeah, I found that uh, the vast majority of the booths that I saw up there were remained open. Um, and the fans seem to have a, a great time. Uh, and I didn't note 
necessarily that all you know all the publishers I encountered were leery of them. But there were some publishers that said, "Look, you do have to be careful. Uh, people will just take books." Um, uh, you know, there was some, I and mean, even even at BookCon this year, there were some complaints about that. Well, yeah, although, you got to tell people they can't take the books. You although, can't what's leave it well, what's happening here right now is this thing gets going. Is there's there's confusion of there's mixed messages. Uh, book be book Expo America is a trade show where the, overall there's no selling that people and what do publishers often do give stuff away BookCon is more like a comic con and indeed everybody on the side could sell stuff should they choose so there was a mix some people were giving things away free some people were selling the fans were still confused some of them wanted to buy everything they saw other ones were grabbing stuff and asking if it was free well you know I mean Frankly, we didn't have this trouble at New York Comic Con, and New York Comic Con had a large uh, book presence. Yeah, and also, I mean, you it's know, it's not that hard to have like, a sign. Like, it, we already have a huge, very well developed network of book fairs throughout the United States. Yes, and I mean, we've talked about this too. It's like there used to be New York as book country, and you know, it's kind of been uh, replaced by um, Brooklyn Book Festival, yeah. but. Much smaller, much different. But I mean, you know, the Miami Book Fair where I went last Perfect year example. was huge. Huge, huge. It's huge. And it lasts for seven days. And the LA Times Book, book Festival is the same with hundreds well. of so, thousands I mean, of people. You know, book couplers, I absolutely understand that you want to have a day to meet in yeah. relative calm with the people you do business yeah. with. That is absolutely understood. But at the same time, everybody has been saying, and you know, I interviewed Brian McDonald, who was kind of the show manager for BookCon, and he said, if only I had a dime for every time a publisher has looked at New York Comic Con and then said, why can't we have that level of excitement? Well, guess what? Now you, you do. You gotta and make it. it takes fans yeah, to do that. Absolutely. Fans are the ones who get excited. So. And it means you have to accommodate yeah, the fans. Exactly. And you can do it, I think, in both ways. You can give stuff away. And you can sell stuff. Yes. And, uh, you know, just to kind of wrap up the whole talk, I, I, I mean, it was interesting. I do feel like comics publisher, I think they put Diamond up front. Yes. The first thing you yes, saw as you walked in were. the door was um, there was another publisher. The Diamond Booth. The yeah. Diamond Booth. But yeah. it was front and center. And, yeah. you know, I think it was also because they're shock, you know, shock hardened battle, you know, <laughs> yes, troops. They, oh, yeah. They and know. They know, they know. Consumers. And they know consumers. Yeah. And, I, and, and, you know, they, they said it was, they said it went really well. And, um, you know, I, I think in our story we were talking about, I mean, it wasn't an overwhelming presence for comics, but, um, you know, compared to how it was 10 years ago, uh, yeah. I mean, we've made such huge strides and, yeah. you know, they're yeah. everywhere. There was a lot of great books being Absolutely. And being there, there were promoted. comics publishers spread yeah. throughout yeah. the halls. Everybody has yeah. their comic now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was fortunate enough to actually moderate panels at both shows both on the uh, trade side and on the uh, book con side. We had a, a fabulous panel uh, at BE on, on Thursday afternoon uh, with Jules Pfeiffer um, talking about, uh, I mean, that has to be really my highlight of yeah, moderating of course, panel. Yeah. It's essentially the alpha and the omega of the graphic mm-hmm. novel <laughs> right. market. Uh, a guy who was there at the very beginning and worked for Will Eisner and three uh, absolutely dynamic young uh, comics artists doing uh, some of the best work we've ever seen. Uh, Raina Telgemeier, uh, Farrell Dalrymple, whose Wrenchies is just an amazing book. And uh, and I got brand new discovery. This, well, he's not totally new, but he's new to me. Mm-hmm. Michael Cho's his book, Shoplifter, is just gorgeous yeah. and, and wonderful. Then on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock in a packed um, uh, Javits uh, conference room, uh, we actually weirdly at a at a for a comic sh- uh, consumer show 
we actually did a kind of trade focused panel uh, because we had to put this together at the last right. minute. But it was uh, myself, uh, Calista Brill, an editor at First Second, uh, uh, Karen Green, the graphic novel librarian at Columbia University, uh, and Raina uh, Telgemeier once again. And we sort of broke down the whole publishing process. Uh, the panel was called The Graphic Novel Today. It was packed. Uh, we had great questions and great enthusiasm. So Yeah, I mean, people assume that especially people who don't understand fans and haven't dealt with them, that if you deal with them in a panel, you're going to get a bunch of, of really stupid questions about, like, what char- what color are your character's underpants? And, okay, there are always a few of those guys, but a lot of people really know what they're talking about and have interesting things to discuss and really, really add to the well, discussion. Well, you know, I think what's interesting, I mean, you know, even John Green, who's kind of the current superstar and, you know, has a movie based on this book coming out that everybody says is going to propel him even further... You know, he lives in Brooklyn. I mean, the guy comes out to mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble and signs his books, as long as there's a Barnes & Noble. Um, you know, so some of these authors are definitely not underexposed, let's put it that way, but they still have a huge following. It's like, I, I, I keep pointing out, it's like, you know, we go to Comic-Con, and it's huge. People are so excited, but books are even more popular <laughs> yes, than yeah, comics. Yeah. So if we really got this to scale, we're really talking something very, you know, very dynamic and huge and yeah, and, and even um, if it popular. To scale, even if the average book reader is less fanatical than the average comic reader. There are so many more book readers yes. that even absolutely. if absolutely, and I also think I mean I, I hear it often said over and over again, uh, and usually a study or two uh, is cited that teenagers are not reading anymore. It's I just, just find true. that very difficult to believe. And the proof was on Saturday when oh yeah totally. teenagers eager for books were everywhere. Yeah, my my anecdotal experience from the teenagers I know is that, yeah, they do spend a larger percentage of their reading time on the internet than they used to, but that doesn't mean they don't read books or that they don't love the books that they do read. And I mean, we're it just means you have to work a little harder to compete with reading material from other sources, which is free. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, oh, go ahead, Carl. Well, just very quickly, we're also in the midst of a Y18 publishing boom. Yes. Now, there's a lot of crossover readers. There's a lot of adults now who are buying teen books, but there's and a lot of teens yeah. that are reading yeah. teen books, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you just look at what are the teen blockbusters, and they're the ones based on yes. popular book series. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a million, there's a bunch of them every every season right (laughs) well there's definitely more to come on this and i mean like you said calvin book on was proof concept um you know the proof was a little bit rocky in spots (laughs) but uh you know it'll be back uh, twice as big next year and um developing yeah so um well speaking of big giant shows um oh yes comic-con oh my god it's like two months less than it's only like a month away i don't (laughs) even have my plane ticket and they're like seven hundred dollars now so i'm gonna get on that um Yeah, so uh, there was some talk in the news this week. Um, An organization called Geeks for Consent has put up a petition asking San Diego to make a clearer harassment policy. Make it easier to understand what exactly you're supposed to do mm. if right. someone breaks the harassment rules. Right. I, yeah. I Yes. And, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of outcry about this. And, um, you know, I came down, I, I was feel a little bit by David Glanzer, the spokesman yeah. for Comic-Con, kind of giving an interview where it's a little bit toned up to some of the concerns. Yeah. Uh, well, no, not even a little bit. I think uh, a lot. Basically, too. it can be summed up as, if we did more about harassment it would make people think we have more harassment 
Right, right, yes, right. It's a sort of strange. But I, I you know, I had like as I quoted put it out in my piece about this. <laughs> I mean, it's like any time you ask Comic Con, why do you do this? They're like for safety, and they have. I mean, I think and I, safety is important, right? It is, but I, I, I'm just saying, it's like I, I think that the uh, well, I'm, I'm a little bit of an insider here, but I, I, I mean, I definitely know that confronting the people at Comic Con with like you know outrage is n- just going to make them dig in deeper. So I don't think this petition is going to do any good. But um, anyway, I would be, I, you know, so what would do any good? Would anything do any good? Yes, absolutely. I think that if it had been approached in a different manner, uh, maybe privately, that's generally yeah. how they but, prefer to do things. But on the other hand would they have accepted any kind of private communications from these people they don't know from Adam? Or would it have to be somebody who had some clout behind them who talked to them for them to actually listen? Well, like I said, I think they're more concerned with safety. I think, honestly, I think it can, can be shown uh, that this is a safety issue. Um, you know, they want... I, I'm, I'm just trying to say, I think that the issue is more nuanced than it was painted a lot of times. Mm. Um, and uh, I think... You, you, I, just but, to back up. But anyway, Kate, I'd like well, to hear your thoughts well, on it. Well, my I, thoughts are that you shouldn't have to indulge in heavy-duty Kremlinology to figure out exactly the right psychological tack to approach in order to talk to a public organization about a public event and get them to listen to you with a fairly simple request. I mean, if you have to try to psych them out in order to try to figure out, okay, how can I phrase this so that I don't hurt their tender little feelings, you have a problem. But I, do, I don't think it even was that. I mean, I'm not sure any organization privately approached them. No, but... Well, but I don't know. Well, I think she was responding to... Yeah, to yeah. What you, yeah. No, what I'm saying is that... Description of them. Is yeah. that if you are a organization of, of fans, of readers, of convention goers, typically speaking, people in power are not going to op- be open to private communications. It all goes in the circular file. Right. You send a letter privately, you send an email privately... You get nothing. Do they have any reason to believe that that method would work? Did did yeah. uh, Comic Con have any kind of open channel for communication on this kind of thing? No, I, mean, I don't think they approached it wrong. I, mean, I think Comic Con needs to be more open to communication with fans and not be so because sensitive about anything that sounds vaguely like criticism. Yeah, because what the, uh, in many ways what they've done is sort of made people want to continue to come right. to them complaining exactly. that your exactly. har- harassment policy needs to be defined better. So w- the the what they were uh, what David was suggesting that they wanted to do was to to avoid this big discussion around uh, apparently as he says it uh, a problem that doesn't exist at Comic-Con. Ha ha ha. Um, ha, ha, ha. I, I think he's done just the opposite. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's, it's, and it's, I agree it's very much that. a I am not a crook moment. I mean not that he's a crook, but, you, but you know, I mean, it, that is nothing makes people think there's a problem more than looking like you're having a yeah. cover up. And do we know what level of incidents have occurred at Comic Con? Uh, is there some sense that there really is an actual well, he's, problem? You know, Glancer said there's very few. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's there's some reports of them. I mean, you, there's some reports every. You know, yeah, I mean, there's course. definitely some. But I, and you know, the anecdotal evidence I've heard ranges from you know people being made uncomfortable uh, yeah. to you know crowded room butt grabbing and. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think all of this was really thrown into relief by Emerald City Comic Con having, yes, having such a, a, yes. a great, you know, out in front of it, clear, getting out in front of it, and very absolutely. clear. Um, right. It doesn't mean you have a problem, just to make it clear right. what should people should do if they have a problem. Right. And in fact, I think one of the things that we've been talking about, and 
for multiple episodes of, of this podcast is that, you know, w- without focusing on any specific institution, there there's a culture problem yeah. where this is It's this not the is fault happening. of the convention that the yes. people who and go this, there come from yes. a problematic yes. culture. Absolutely. But absolutely. it doesn't hurt to... Yeah. So have a way absolutely. for right. people to understand, yes. make it more clear. I, I, I yeah, I and told, all conventions I, need to be thinking yeah. harder I about this because they got agree. a lot of people in a small space right. who are all very excited, and you know this is a predictable problem. Yeah, right. And I mean, I, I think I absolutely wish that Comic Con would get out in front of this problem and be more responsive and be more modern. To be fair, I just, I, I think some of the pieces that were written were making it sound like they weren't concerned with safety yeah. and, and I mean the opposite is, is totally true yeah. but the thing is so. like how is anyone to yeah. know that unless they have your insider knowledge how does everyone know well, what Comic Con cares about they talk about safety quite a bit they do talk yeah. and I mean that is why you can't go there and sit down for two minutes or yeah. stand in one place for one minute <laughs> I know <laughs> you know I mean if you once you go it's like you're you know mm-hmm. in, a, in a death march to Bataan because there's so much security there yeah. so you know anyway but I, you know, I, agree, Kate, I, I agree with you. I, I just think some facets of the argument yeah. were counterproductive. Well, let's put it that way. Yeah, but a lot of the counterproductivity you only know about because you know these people. Yeah. I mean, to be, f- I mean, I don't think that's something you can criticize people for for no, not I, having I, the inside baseball I, knowledge. Yes, I absolutely agree. I yes, I agree. You know, it basically. It looks like they have a safety problem, but they may, in fact, have a PR problem. Yes. In which yeah. case, they should fix the damn PR problem. They're professionals. Absolutely. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like that's what it's turned into. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, this is I'm not going away. I mean, no. this is a really, but really they huge... Need to fix it. They, they absolutely do. And I mean, more and more conventions. I, I, I mean, you know, I think San Diego has so much else going on that harassment gets lost in a sea of woe mm. and complaints. Um, you know, there was WISCON. Um, oh, you know, WISCON. yeah. I mean, you know, don't I don't get me started. We don't even WISCON. have time to go we, into we, this. We can't even but, discuss But let's WISCON just say here. there's just been a litany of all kinds of things that are going on. And, um, you know, and I mean, we've talked about, you know, last year, New York Comic Con had a huge fail in this regard. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, there's certainly the marching forward on this front is not going to stop anytime soon. Yeah. Just keep working on it, guys. Just That's keep right. working on it. <laughs> okay. So, what's up with She-Hulk and David Goyer? Okay. For all of you listeners at home who may not be aware of it, David Goyer is currently the man with the plan when it comes to DC comic superhero movies. He was the guy behind um, the most recent Man of Steel, and he's up for... Batman v Superman, mm-hmm. which makes as it look scr- like a court case. As a screenwriter, as, as a screenwriter, screen yes. But you know, he's he's a fairly powerful screenwriter with uh, a lot of clout with the studio. Oh, yes. he's, well, he's not, also producing, right? Hmm. He's also producing. He's not he's not the guy who uh, you know gets sent three mandatory rewrites. Like right. he, yeah. he he has a lot of power, and he's heavily involved in. Um, a major studio dash comic company's comic book movies about superheroes. And uh, he went on a podcast the other week and um, he basically bashed people who like superheroes. He he joked that um, Martian, who cares about Martian Manhunter? The only people who can see him are virgins. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Uh, Clearly, well. he's never seen all the parents with children at Comic Cons. <laughs> well, 
No, no, sweetie, you have to like Martian Manhunter. He's awesome. <laughs> Mommy, I like Iron Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he went on a rant, which, frankly, like, it showed so little knowledge of She-Hulk that I kind of almost wonder if he's talking about She-Hulk from the Avengers porn. <laughs> because he did mention China. Um, the wrestler, dash, porn star. Uh, because he, he went on this long rant saying that She-Hulk was a super whore and like would only be able to really fully get it on with the Hulk and was just I mean it was oh my god it was just this parade of like character hate and misogyny that didn't even make any sense for the character and then when he got called on it he was like oh I was being feminist I was just <laughs> saying you know what a sexist character yeah. she is to be created and everyone was like but there are like 40 million characters that would make sense for not the female empowerment fantasy lawyer superhero. Um, yeah. Well, so basically, a giant like pile of. <laughs> everybody likes She Hulk except him. Now, was the guy joking? I haven't listened. I've seen, seen was, some transcripts. Was, I haven't heard the actual. He was. He, 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 was, uh, he was joking around. Maybe, but know. it was. It yes, was very, but all humor reveals character. Yeah, no, but the, mean, the, the fact that these were the jokes he was making, and he. he I mean, he was joking around, but he clearly seemed to believe that he was saying something about the character that yeah. made sense. I don't know if he just didn't know anything about She-Hulk, and then when the host mentioned She-Hulk, he felt he had to pretend he knew, and he just made something up, or or if he just... I, I don't even know. Well, you know, it's fair to say that Goyer is more into DC, as you mentioned, and mm. so, you know, I, I think a She-Hulk comics were just... We're just kind of ignorant, whatever, you know, yeah. and off-the-cuff humor, whatever. I mean, to be honest, I just think the Martian Manhunter comments are more indicative of what yeah. we've been saying here for a long time. You don't get too far at Warner Brothers if you think superheroes are cool. Yeah, I mean, it was part of the larger <laughs> picture. It was clearly, it was all part of one unitary picture of, I think superheroes are stupid, and I think people who like superheroes are stupid. Yeah. And for a man who's making superhero movies, <laughs> I think this is maybe <laughs> a problem. Like, are you are you making the right movies, sir? Yeah. You're a good writer. Yeah. Are you making the right genre of movies <laughs> well, if you don't like superheroes Like I said, I think it might might be indicative of more of a, you know, a cultural <laughs> yeah, cultural I mean, you know, background from from whence he comes. Uh, you know, Goyer's working on the Constantine, uh, Constantine, mm. how are you going to show? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not so uh, worried. Working, I think he works on Arrow. He's not, well, no, not no, on Arrow, but, he, but he's, he's, he's very He's involved. on Da Vinci's Demons. Yeah. And he's on Constantine, which, you know, the funny thing is that a Hellblazer TV show might be something he could handle because it doesn't have any of the things that give him pause about superheroes. <laughs> but Costumes. Just, yeah, basically. Yeah. And flying and, and things. The, it's... All the rest uh, of the genre, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I have no problem with him on a dark supernatural show. It's the kind of thing he can do. But, it, it do one, it says something about him and makes you wonder, like, why are you doing this? And two, it says something about Warner Brothers, that this is the man they choose to, to, to have a, a huge role in their superhero movies. Like, there are so many writers in Hollywood who love superheroes. Why didn't you pick one of them? Right. And it does you know what it's very revealing to me because i didn't realize that he or that marvel i mean that i am sorry marvel that warner brothers felt this way because you know i was wondering why do these warner brothers superhero movies feel like they lack heart because yeah and, uh, and it, they feel that way because they're made without heart yes yeah, because so they're be not made by people because, who love it yeah exactly and i mean this is not you know it's not even a secret but i mean 
Well, I uh, didn't know it. Well, no, it's been it's been written about quite a bit. But I mean, there's a lot of suspicion about superheroes at the top echelons of Warner Brothers. <laughs> I mean, this has been going on for a long time, where they just don't get it. And uh, you know, they had said that. Um, you know, when Legendary was involved in Thomas Tull, he did the, produce the Batman movies. He's a big old fanboy, and those movies were very successful. Uh, Jeff Robinoff, who formerly ran the studio, definitely, you know, he tried to be uh, accommodating because obviously superhero movies are huge right now. Yep. But, you know, sometimes you can't get over that inner... You just hire people who do like well, it. Well, th- there is a change coming on, perhaps, because as I, you know, we've been talking about the guy who runs Warner's now, uh, Kevin Sujihara, is more uh, superhero neutral. I will accept it. So that's what you have to I, hope yeah. for. I will, I will, I will settle for neutral. <laughs> just to, I will settle. To, they're yes, not actively settle. working yes. to undermine if, if their you own don't Exactly. If you yes. don't actively think that superheroes are stupid, <laughs> I will accept that. But the funny thing is that so many other studios, like Sony and Fox, are trying so hard to hang on to their superhero properties that, you know, they had gotten from Marvel once upon a time I'm pretty sure that any of them would love to be sold the rights to make a Wonder Woman movie or Batman movie or a Superman movie like Warner Brothers if you don't think you can do it sell it to someone who can you'd be surprised uh, about corporate culture sometimes but you know Warner Brothers has a very unique corporate culture I'll put it that way and I, I I mean I don't I'm just guessing I'm speculating here but it makes sense. But it, makes I, I it all think, makes sense. I think uh, I have a suspicion that the the hatred, or excuse me, not hatred, disdain for superheroes <laughs> disdain probably all goes the way. back to you know a long way back to something that happened in the traumatic past. So uh, you know, I don't know, and it's kind of been carried on ever since. But uh, yeah, I, I think a little bit more revealing, I think, than Goyer intended. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was sure. really revealing. And the funny thing is, is he just seems to think that it's like. Oh, well, people think I was a jerk about She-Hulk. If only they understood me. And it's like, no. People know exactly what you were revealing about yourself. And it's not something they want to hear from the man who's making Batman v. Superman. (laughs) Dawn of Justice. Dawn of Justice. Batman v. Superman. Dawn of Justice. Justice. It makes it sound like... Dawn of Justice League. Oh, okay. (laughs) But no, it's called Dawn of Justice. Isn't he a a writer? (laughs) Yeah, it was Dawn of... (laughs) Isn't he supposed to be able to be precise and clear and well, put his ideas across you would think um <laughs> but yeah oh, oh by the way i think that title sounds like it's a a a batman and superman court case movie what with the v <laughs> yes. and the justice in there well, i'm true. like mm. anyway moving on all right they, they both get a set of super lawyers <laughs> or, or maybe it's it's like an alternate universe where batman is a lawyer i don't know <laughs> could go. be good all right news briefs and now, the briefs. <laughs> Graphically, that troubled little cousin of comicsology. The cousin uh, that didn't get acquired. Yeah, and not only didn't get acquired, didn't manage to do business before managing to not get acquired. Aren't going to be doing wah, too much more either. Is shutting down. And not only is it shutting down, but it turns out that they haven't been paying their small and independent comic creators for those comics which they did sell. Although, who knows how many they actually sold. Graphically, was not a very popular platform. But, um, while their uh, major clients, the larger comic companies that they had been vending comics from, are, quote-unquote, put on a list of creditors 
to be <laughs> eventually paid. Um, so I guess they're right down with, you know, the power company and the guy they bought office cups from. Um, there, there's no word on whether any of these independent creators are going to get so much as a buck from them yeah. ever for any of the work that Graphically was supposedly selling of theirs. So, it, yeah, that's, you, you pretty much summed it up. Yep, I mean, not um, too much I else mean, to say. Graphically was, uh, went through, has gone through a number of incarnations, pivots, uh, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they, they started as a digital comics distribution platform. They kind of decided to pivot to just digital content in general. Then they were like an ebook converter for a little while. Um, but their background, obviously, is in comics and in, 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 in digital comics. And they were and acquired, in massive incompetence. They were they were acquired by a company by the name of Blurb, which is a self-publishing POD and ebook platform launched by a um, really interesting uh, woman, Eileen Gittens, uh, who I actually talked to uh, during Book Expo uh, just about this. Um, uh, though principally, I was trying to find out uh, there was information going around that. Uh, that she that Blurb had acquired Graphically and was go- were going to integrate Graphically into their so, software platform, which was never the case. So, having bought Graphically and now shutting well, down Graphically, sh- have they gotten anything out of this deal? Did yes, they get they've employees? gotten they've gotten expertise and, and staff. They did oh. not acquire Graphically; they essentially acquired its employees. Ah, they okay. hired. They just said, "Hey, you guys are out of work. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Let's hire some people they, here." So. They were not interested okay. in inquiring uh, Graphically's technology and platform or other digital products. Because Blurb has its own digital suite. Absolutely. They have their own. They have a number of software and authoring tools that they have developed actually in collaboration with the Adobe people uh, and I believe with InDesign as well. Well, that is... that's No, that's not Adobe. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're not interested in it and I suspect uh, their due diligence made them realize that graphically... Uh, has a lot of problems and a lot of debt hanging around and a lot of unpaid uh, debts. So basically, they, they just no snapped up it. a comic yeah. staff all in one go yeah. and let the sinking company go curse plot. One more thing. Blurb is a platform that's focused on visual books. That was uh, Miss um, uh, yeah. Gittin's uh, innovation. She saw a way for people to allow people to essentially make books, lay them out online, and if you're like a dummy or, a, or an award-winning designer... You can both come up with a product that really looks good, uh, and you can get it in about a week. Uh, and they make money even if they only publish one copy. So what she wants to do is enlarge the visual universe and actually bring graphic novel uh, artists oh, into the self-publishing sense. and provide the tools for them, as well as she's done a, a number of other things to expand the, uh, the ability to you get these books into the book. So too. basically it sounds like a better business model than graphically. Yes. <laughs> to say the Not least. that they sort of hard. launched a little bit further along the path. Uh, you know, I noticed many times that at BEA there was a whole bunch of these, like, you know, service bureaus. Yeah. Uh, providers providing all kinds of tools and advice and you know, help, support, yeah. and sucker to uh, self-publishers. Yeah. And um, it'd be interesting to see. I think we might have a f- lot more graphically down the line. Well, going curse flat as they go. But uh, admittedly, this was an unusual. I, I personally had never quite seen the um, the I don't know the, the what is it the aqua hire. I'm not quite sure how to how to describe it. But um, that said, uh, uh, yeah, there's a legacy of bad uh, 
a bad faith here that uh, we'll probably be hearing some more about as we go forward. As people are coming out now and saying that, hey, they never paid me. Uh, but uh, from what I can see, uh, th- that's the end of the story for Graphically. Yeah. They have no more employees. Mm, yep, that, no, Graphically's done, but <laughs> not, done. it's not and the end for Michael Baldwin. So. Uh, no, no, the, the other, uh, former um, CEO yes. of Graphically, who was not CEO at the time, actually. Uh, no. He's, he, has, no. he was sort of moved out. So, yeah. So, um, speaking of people being in hot water... Um, the popular manga Oshinbo has gone on hiatus for an indefinite period of time because it has offended any number of people about the uh, Fukushima nuclear accident. Well, particularly people that lived in Fukushima. Well, particularly people who lived in <laughs> Fukushima, but even more than that, the government of Fukushima. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How yeah. did it offend them? Well, uh, basically, it suggested that going to a radioactive area might be dangerous. Well, that's terrible. What a thing to suggest. <laughs> and this was, this was so offensive that, um, <laughs> that uh, it went on hiatus, and the space in the magazine that it's in, usu- that's usually Oshinbo, has been devoted to um, letters of protest and complaint and fervent apologies from the editors of said comic. Now, uh, is wh- this a uniquely Japanese thing? Because they have had horrible radiation poisoning before, uh, you know, caused by us Americans, to be fair. No, but, um, is it, it, it seems uh, more like uh, how... They think that it would be bad PR for their region of the country, so how dare you say anything that would be bad PR for so them? So they should be David Glanzer. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think one of the one of the issues also is that uh, the manga actually depicted some specific um, so-called um, uh, symptoms of radiation and yeah, it was and, exaggerated. And so it, was, it became it a question of whether they were. It became a question of whether the comic is actually um, saying something uh, inaccurate. That uh, and libelous, from what I can see of it. I mean, I I don't. I feel like if you are a comic creator, it is not unreasonable to dramatize the danger of being in a radioactive area by exaggerating the symptoms that your character suffers, as long as they aren't turning, you know, into the Hulk. Or hell, even if they are turning into the Hulk, there's a long tradition. Um, I just think that if this had happened in certain other countries, that the publisher would just be like, eh, who cares? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I, I think that's a measure of the scale of this disaster yeah. in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that, it's also if you're going to you make the if you're going to make these kinds of claims, I mean, I think the manga publishers basically left themselves open to libel. That's why they're a little worried, I, uh, and, and and they've responded the is, it's, by it, caving in completely. I, I don't think uh, a representative of a situation in a fictional story counts as libel. It's not like they said, you know, they published some news story that was like, you know, Bob the reporter went to Fukushima and got a nosebleed. You know... I agree with you. It's a highly fictionalized, obviously exaggerated depiction, and I just feel like... There was a lot of overreaction. I mean, I think this is a very uniquely Japanese reaction to something. I mean, as you say, and I mean, it is a terrible, it's a terrible situation. You know, this is why we hope that this, the lab in 
uh, Switzerland or France, wherever it is. We must develop nuclear fission power. Just okay. clean. <laughs> okay, there you but go. But the, the interesting thing <laughs> is that at the very same time that um, the publishers of Oshinbo are being so concerned, um, a huge, huge hit in Japan, unexpected to mm. be so big, is the comic, the manga One F. Mm-hmm. Um, about the experiences uh, written and, and drawn by someone who actually had, had these experiences, the experiences of working on yeah. the cleanup crew for Fukushima. And it was not an entirely flattering portrayal. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if it's just that his publishers are are feeling braver or that the depiction is considered to be more realistic and he can point to his sources for everything that he shows on the page so they can't go after him for or what but um it's just interesting that it's it's such a a raw cultural nerve yeah. there artist and and that people are artistically drawn to depicting it yeah uh, well before, uh, for, uh, absolutely but i also think uh, just what you said i think that the uh, the, the 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 manga artist for the fukushima the fukushima book you know, was there? He he worked as part of the, uh, of the cleanup, crew. cleanup crews. Um, he he has the force of, of of veracity behind him, even though it's all fiction, obviously to some extent. Yeah, um, but he, he's he's sourcing the yeah. So it's very the experience in his own yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. So so in any event, moving on, Amazon is still in its ongoing war with Hachette as discussed in our last discussion podcast, but they have eased up on Marvel. Now, it's true that Marvel is not owned by Hachette. It's merely distributed, but there's some discussion as to why this might be. Uh, Did Disney have a backroom discussion with Amazon (laughs) about, hey, I hear you like selling those Disney DVDs. (laughs) It would be a shame if anything happened to them. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I would curious about whether uh, other Hachette distributed only yeah, publishers yeah. such as Marvel how they're faring under this war conditions, or yeah, whether Marvel um, just is very lucky to have a big brother to yeah, that, that, that's <coughs> have a, a word point. with Amazon. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually don't know. Um, I don't know the full list of their distributees, but mm. it might be worth looking into. But yeah. Um, Yep. Yeah, Marvel's off the hook right now. Yen Press, though, is uh, still mm. got hell and, to pay. And, uh, but, uh, you know, Barnes & Noble uh, stepping up its discounts yes, on Yen that's Press. Right. So, yes, that's uh, right. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Lynn Ridge to the rescue. Mm, yeah. yeah. All on sale, folks. <laughs> Come and get it. And uh, speaking of Marvel, for the first time ever, the top three movies of the year, uh, of any year, uh well, movies year to date have all been depicting properties from one comic company, in this case Marvel. I mean, it's true that um, X-Men uh, I can't remember the sequel name. Uh, X-Men um, Days of Future Past? X-Men Days of Future Past. <laughs> I was like X-Men First Class either, 2. So I know, I keep calling it First Class also, yeah. but Second Class. X-Men Second Class, uh, yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> is is being put out by Fox, and the Sp- Amazing Spider-Man 2 yeah. is from Sony, Sony, and then uh, but, and, and Captain so America, Cap the Winter Soldier, is, is from Marvel proper. 
But even so, um, Marvel properties are have helmed the entire black box office. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a first, and it's quite remarkable. And, uh, and you know, there's congratulations. There to will Marvel. be a bunch of Quicksilvers. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to have their own Quicksilver. So that's and really cool. All I have to say to that is, enough said. Yeah. <laughs> Although there is uh, some rumors, speculation, and um, uh, hurt feelings that Marvel may possibly be neglecting those properties that they don't own the movie rights to. That, you know, Marvel's not going to put Fantastic Four on the cover of their their big new volume of comic stuff because they don't want to promote the competition. Well, I you know, th- uh, this is definitely not even just speculation it's in one way i remember years ago you know the x-men is really what kept marvel in the dance and they've been you know huge huge. they were huge. they used to be marvel's huge property it used to be and i remember going to a convention about five or six years ago and hearing uh joe casada say uh you know the avengers is our number one super team and uh uh, you know, they, we still like the X-Men, though. And I was like, wait, what? I thought the X-Men was the number one team. But, uh, you know, so this is... And it was very much... If you look back on history, you'll see that as as the sundering continued, that X-Men definitely became the number two team at Marvel, even yeah. though they were massively popular up until um, superhero movies became popular. Yeah. yeah. So Well, actually, they were part of what made superhero well, movies Well, yes, popular, yes. Yep. Marvel continued to promote them until such time as Marvel started making movies of their own that didn't have X-Men. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, they the Marvel got back Daredevil, so, you know, there's always hope that for a reunion someday, really, go. maybe, sort of, kind of. But um, Well, I really. mean, th- well, there, there's, there's hope for Fantastic Four. There's not really hope for X-Men, because Fox is, is um, successfully milking yes. that property. Yeah, and they have it all worked. They have a whole fictional universe figured out for that, so. So, yeah. Okay, and that's it for us for this week. Yeah. Uh, But don't worry, there will be... More to come.